everybody, and welcome to Comic Club. This is a special edition where we are going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I am Blaine McGaffigan, and I'm joined, as always, by Adam, Adman Cook. Hey, Blaine. Great to be here. All right. So, off the top, we are going to be spoiling this. Me and Adam saw the film last night, and we are going to have a impassioned, passioned, passion, impassioned discussion all about Quantumania. I'm throwing it to you first, Adam. What did you think of the movie? I didn't love it. Uh, I don't even know if I really liked it. I kind of just thought it was boring. I, I just didn't think the plot was good, really. Or if you asked me to tell you about the plot, I don't even know really what I would say. They had to go to the quantum realm. They got sucked into the quantum realm and then they had to get out, I guess was the story. I just found it hard to really gravitate towards anything. I, I don't really have a huge love for this Ant-Man run, which is unfortunate because I love Paul Rudd. I love him. He is one of my favorite guys acting out there. I just find him so charming. But these movies just haven't really done anything for me. His character, Scott Lang, I just don't think is that interesting. Um, and the relationships are just kind of boring. They just don't really have that much dynamic you know, change that makes them really interesting. It's funny because I do think that um, Corey Stoll was one of the more interesting parts of the series. You know, he's he's the bad guy in the first one. And, you know, it, he's one of the only things that works. So they bring him back. But I just thought it was kind of a boring movie. I wasn't really that excited to see it, I guess. I felt like I was just doing it at this point. It's been a long time since a Marvel movie has really excited me, I guess, um, and lived up to the expectations. I had some excitement going into Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, for sure, and just felt it to also kind of be underwhelming. A big issue I had with this movie, I'm going to sound like an old man, but my God, it is just like 80 to 90% CGI. It is just actors walking around in front of a blue screen that's all that it is and it all just feels really fake there's nothing tactile about it and i was thinking back to some of the marvel movies that i love and you know guardians of the galaxy very cgi heavy obviously because they're doing the space thing but some of the other ones that i think are the best ones i think winter soldier is the best marvel movie that they've made and that movie is very low cgi at least in the terms that you think of it, where it's just, you know, it's not creating the entire universe out of CGI. But this one, I just, I think that is a hindrance to it. And maybe that's just a generational divide, but that kind of not having almost any practical sets, I just really felt like there was a disconnect to it. And it just didn't really seem very engaging. Before the movie, I was in a packed house. I felt like people were buzzing. They were ready to love this movie. And there just wasn't a lot of moments that really landed that that they needed to land. And overall, just kind of felt like we were going through the motions, setting it up for this Kang storyline. But at least we get to watch Jonathan Majors just cook. I love it. Let's let's save the Jonathan Majors talk because I want to kind of weigh in about some of those things. And the first thing is, Adam, I don't know what year you're living in, but they don't use blue they don't use blue screens anymore. They use green screens, okay? These green screen sets. And 
Couldn't agree with you more. I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I just can't look at this stuff anymore. I mean, to me, one of my first impressions of this movie was like, oh, they're doing like a Star Wars thing, right? There's freedom fighters. There's this ragtag, like most Isley kind of like character designs. Um, they're going up against this empire sort of thing. And, but everything is so untactile. Everything is just these CGI monsters and characters and, and villains. And man, like, I just really was like, but it looked like, looked horrible. Like it just didn't look, everything was dark. And moreover, I, I with you have never been the biggest Ant-Man movie fan, but something that I have always liked, and this is something I know you are a big heist guy. And I've always thought what Ant-Man does, okay, so you have Guardians as like the sci-fi, you have Winter Soldier as sort of the spy thriller, You're, they're exploring the different genres of storytelling, the comedy movie, all the different things. Ant-Man is the heist movie. And the thing I always love most about heist movies is when you're in the middle of the heist and the heist goes wrong in some reason or another. And that was the one thing I remember about Ant-Man 1. The heist never really went wrong. They just kind of pulled it off well. And it was like, okay, they just did it. And now there's a villain. Um, what? How far we have come from these small stakes heist movies to this world ending Kang the Conqueror, he's going to like incinerate our universe events, right? There was a tiny little heist here where he had to go get a pin particle in the middle of this, um, you know, power sphere. And it was this really weird scene where there was like duplicate of Ant-Man and the Wasp and like that action set piece didn't work for me. All the Ant-Man fights are basically just these like quick camera movements as these little mini wasps and mini Ant-Man kind of like bounce around and then grow big and then kick people in the face. And that's just not interesting. And one of the other things that makes Ant-Man kind of cool in the films is sort of this honey, I shrunk the kids aspect of like, it's tiny Scott Lang standing next to a giant ant or when they were uh, in Cassie's room in Ant-Man 1 and you see them on a train set and toys are flying around and they're in a briefcase and you kind of get this scale that's just fun and always great to see in films and you can make it practical because you can make these really big goofy sets of a playhouse and a Thomas the Tank Engine and stuff. And there was no sense of scale here at the end whenever Ant-Man goes big. They're like, oh man, he's huge. I'm like, wait, is he? I was like, how big are these buildings though? I I, I couldn't tell. I was like, is he? How big is he? Like, like put give me some perspective here. And um, yeah, again, we're both just kind of like really ranting off the off the get-go here. But uh those are sort of my takes. And I was just sitting there sinking in my seat in the movie theater, just listening to one bit of exposition after exposition as they kept talking about who they had to rescue or or what was next and what world what the quantum realm meant and stuff like this and i was just bored like frankly bored and and visually uninterested because it did not look good to me so it's tough you know you hate to see it as a comic book fan you know i want to go into these movies and be excited and i've liked some of the stinkers more than i think a lot of the other people have but this one was Oof, it did not work. Yeah, I think it's uh, an indicator when you have several times of multiple characters asking the same character, so what happened down there? And her just going, I can't talk about it. Yes. Which repeatedly happened with Michelle Pfeiffer's character uh, to the point to where it was maddening. And you would go, 
just fucking tell them about yes. Kang. They're going <laughs> to yeah. find out you're in the quantum realm. Right. Yeah. It, it, the quantum realm is weird because so it's this tiny alternate dimension as far as we understand it to be. But for all intents and purposes, it's just a sci-fi space movie all of a sudden. It's like, it's like wait, this it's just a space movie. And I don't know why, but I didn't expect that. I don't know what I expected. I didn't even watch the second trailer for this movie. I was trying to keep my expectations low, and they were. And they were, those expectations were let down. Um, you mentioned Jonathan Majors as Kang. Let's talk maybe a little bit about not the plot machinations of this film, Per se, but what did you like about his performance, which you said you did? And moreover, what do you think Kang means and that character means for phase five and six? This is the kickoff of phase five. What do you think that's going to kind of mean? It seems pretty clear that they're setting up Kang as the big, big bad comparable to Thanos. It's pretty hard to deny that that's sort of how they're structuring this next phase. And it makes sense because that was sort of the template that they built in the first three phases of the MCU, kind of all building up to the Thanos showdown and, you know, the Infinity War saga. So I see, you know, strategically, it makes sense. You think we want to have another big bad. And um, it seems like that's how they're positioning it. It's tough because they have to make Kang more powerful and more consequential than Thanos, who was already, you know, destroying, what, a third of the life across the universe or whatever half. it is across reality, half the life across reality. And so there's all that. that's one of the problems that they're finding is trying to keep topping themselves in terms of scale and importance. And that's why every movie, the fate of the universe or reality or time itself is at stake. And it's a problem because we can't just keep upping the odds every time. We have to be able to have some smaller scale movies like The Winter Soldier. That was just really about The Winter Soldier and then kind of this governmental connection is what it led to. But that was such a smaller scale in terms of the actual overall MCU story. It was really more about Steve Rogers and Bucky. And... um Stories like those, I think you need more of to kind of fill the gaps between the larger ones that help flesh out the entire phase. Okay, saying all that, Jonathan Majors, I really like what he's doing because I feel like he's got a vision in his brain. He's he's thought about what Kang needs to be, and he seems really committed yeah. to this. He's a, yeah. he's a great actor, and we're getting to see someone who's just at the very beginning of their career, I think – get an opportunity to really flex. And it seems like he gets the different, you know, characters to kind of employ and use different strengths that he has and just kind of play with different ideas that he has and all these different iterations of Kang. So it's really fun to see him go from, you know, sort of a big theatrical. If I, I'm thinking about comparing this one sort of, to his Loki Kang. And that Loki Kang was just like having so much fun chewing up the scenery. Whereas this Kang was really hardened. He had those like scar, the tear scars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that look. And something about his intensity just really kept me engaged with his character. Yeah, maybe this is an opportunity to kind of do a slight little recap of where we are in the multiversal storytelling here. Um, Adam mentioned Loki the first season, because that's where Kang first shows up. And 
Essentially, the story there is that there is one singular timeline. That's what we have seen in phases one, two, three of the Marvel Universe. Well, as Loki is kind of, you know, with the Time Variant Society, he learns there is this crew, this group of people who pruned the alternate realities as they um, sort of branch off. And Kang is in charge of that. That Kang from that is called the one who remains. He is one of the Kangs and he is, he kind of like says he's kind of like the good Kang or that's that's kind of like what we're sort of led to believe. And he says there was a multiversal war where all the Kangs were fighting. And at the end of that, Loki essentially splits the multiverse and it expands again to all these different variances. And there's all these different universes and they talk about incursions and stuff like this. And... So the you're right, the Kang in this one who appears is sort of like the the demon Kang. I can't remember what they call him. I don't know if he's Kang Prime. That's that's a term in one, in the comics as well, is there's like the original Kang. Um but he's cast out by the Council of Kangs into the quantum universe. And he's this one seems like he's going to be the big bad, right? This specific one that you mentioned with the tears. Um, at the end of this, he kind of gets um, ushered away in some mysterious, um, I guess it's his power supply of his ship. But I'm imagining this Kang's going to come back. Uh, in some way or another. Well, okay. Well, one of the big themes of this is obviously the family. That's a big aspect of Ant-Man in general. What did you think of the family dynamics in this movie? They were okay. They didn't really grab me that much. They tried really hard with the Cassie, you know, dad thing. And it's fine. It doesn't really make me shed a tear or anything. But one thing I do like about the family dynamic... I kind of I like Scott's relationship with Hank. I like his sort of he admires Hank and wants his approval and one of my favorite moments was at the end when Michael Douglas when Hank quotes the end of the book that Scott Lang has written yes. and uh and and Scott says you read it and and he says every goddamn word. I fucking loved that part. That was that was that part worked for me. So I think their relationship is really funny and um really heartwarming. Yeah, you know, it really, the first 10 minutes of this and the last 10 minutes were set in the real world. And it was very much like the family sitting around in this kind of found family because some of them are related to each other. Some of them aren't. They they all kind of have relationships um, with each other in various ways. And they're all trying to sort of form a, a family unit here. And once they get to the quantum world, they get split up and... It doesn't get explored in a lot of ways, kind of until the end, like you're talking about whenever Michael Douglas kind of comes in. There is some banter between Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas, which is kind of cute, but kind of, you know, it's, I I don't know, sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think him being a father with Cassie is a big part of this, but it didn't just hit that much with me. Okay, one more thing, and we're gonna wrap this up shortly. Modoc shows up in this. Okay, we haven't talked about him yet. What WTF? What did you think whenever you saw Modoc and and he appeared? T- tell me your thoughts. First, I thought, oh shit, are they bringing in Patton Oswalt's Modoc? And I was actually 
really excited to see what was going to happen. And then for some reason, they decided to bring bring back Corey Stoll. And like I said earlier, I actually did like him. I thought he was kind of one of the, the better parts of this series in the first movie. But I just didn't see any reason why we needed to bring him back at this point. And you think, oh, wait, he was alive in the quantum realm? What? It just seemed pointless. Uh, I did laugh at the end when he said, you know, I- I'm going to die as an Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's like, I've always thought of you as a brother or whatever. And he's yeah. touching his face. His, like, with like his that, tiny that, hand. He, he, yeah, yeah. That definitely got me um, despite how utterly hideous he looked. I mean, like, I mean, one, just Modoc is a hideous character to begin with. But then the CGI of it, like whenever I saw the gold face, I was like, whoa, this is kind of cool. It's kind of weird, kind of campy. And then they open up his little face and you see Corey Stoll. And I was like, oh my God, like like this is really getting to a a weird, weird place. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, what are normies going to think of this? Like I know who Modoc is and Modoc's kind of like a joke in modern comics in general. But I mean, like... It just looked so out of place in this in an already <laughs> fantastical world of out of place beings. This just even looked more out of place. It was odd. It was really It's funny weird. because I did a little looking up afterwards to see where Modoc had been in the the series and apparently he had been talked about. I can't remember off the top of my head. I should have written it down, but in earlier movies they had talked about Modoc being one of the baddies in some of the earlier MCU movies. And clearly they got to a point where they realized this is not working and just kept kicking the can down the road. And that's how we got him in quantum mania. All right. As we wrap this up, we're going to give a quick shout out to one of our favorite actors who appears in this. Adam, why don't you do the honors? Greg Turkington, who is one half of on cinema at the cinema, which is quite possibly the greatest show um, on television or streaming right now go check it out immediately on the high network high network.tv is where you can check it out greg is in this as ant-man's boss at baskin robbins dave makes a custom cake for him one of the funniest parts of the movie i think completely random um you guys got to check out on cinema if you haven't before because they actually weave Greg getting the role in Ant-Man into the story of On Cinema. So I highly recommend it. It's all available for free online. 13 seasons. There's only they're only 11 minute episodes, so you can just plow right through them. I know that Blaine has just recently gone through the entire gamut of On Cinema. Welcome to the club, Blaine. We're glad to have you. It is a journey that I would recommend anybody and me and Adam just wanted to do a plug of that because we have been texting furiously, mainly Blaine sending Adam screenshots of this show, which I've just fallen in love with. It is kind of like this alternate reality show. And, you know, just wanted to give a shout out to that as we wrap this baby up. And that's just going to be it. You know, we just wanted to do a quick beyond the panels episode of comic club where we talk about the films we don't always like the movies but we go see them anyway and we share our thoughts with you so go follow us across the internet at comic club podcast and i am blaine mcgaff on twitter i'm danger adam on instagram and that's gonna wrap it up for this episode adam comic club out
Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast, and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Thank you.